feel like sometimes life is really mental. Dude, that's actually a really good name for a podcast. <laughs> Being in these moments of hopelessness are actually the best moments you can be in. Even though they suck really bad in the moment, my hopeless moment is what brought me to the light. Hello everyone, welcome back to Really Mental. I just wanted to say firstly, Will unfortunately can't make it today, but we are going to have an amazing episode with JB. He is actually away doing his music thing on his grind and can't make it today, but... We will be talking to JB about his struggles with drug addiction and rehab. So I think it's going to be a really sensitive topic for those that are listening. So if you do struggle with a lot of that stuff, please go seek professional help. But he's going to talk about his journey and how he got to where he is today, which is in an amazing place, being two years sober and just really living life and enjoying life. So we're going to get into this chat, talking about drug addiction and Welcome, JB. So, JB, welcome to Really Mental. I want to start off by asking, could you tell us a little bit about yourself? Yeah, man. So, thanks for having me on. I am 28 years old, live in Texas. I'm on. I'm online. Do a lot of things with social media, with mental health, and so I'm really excited to, to be a part of the show. Yeah, thank you. No, that's really great. And what kind of got you into doing that type of stuff and going on social media and talking about mental health? Yeah, it's definitely a, a longer backstory, but I dealt with drug addiction for about 10 years. Started when I was 17 in high school and just dealt pretty bad with it. Started with just weed and alcohol and then that led into opioids and Xanax and that kind of thing. And man, about two years ago, I just had enough and didn't know where to turn. And so I, I asked for help. I checked into rehab and through that process was able to find the healing that I had been looking for years. And man, through that, got well. And then really about six months ago, started posting videos because I felt like my story could help people. Yeah. And I, I think it'd be really great to get into your story today as well and talk about that. Throughout that period of 10 years, what were you kind of going through and what was making you use those drugs to, I guess, mask your emotions and stuff? Yeah, in the midst of it, but first it's for fun. You want to connect and you want to have friends and that's kind of a place to, to find that connection and friendship. When high school, I was pretty insecure and going down the rabbit hole with it and years and years of use. Honestly, I, I didn't know why I was using it. I like to say it felt like there was a civil war in my head. Like a part of me knew I needed to stop and another part of me knew I couldn't stop. It's a pretty helpless place. And so looking back, not I didn't know that back then, but looking back, it really all came back to trauma, childhood trauma, how I was raised, beliefs that I had about myself, about the world, things that had been traumatizing events that I didn't ever work through. I had buried it. And so really what the drug use was me numbing deep subconscious pain, which consciously I didn't really even know where exactly it came from. It just, I just knew I needed something to feel better. Yeah. And when you talk about that trauma and that childhood trauma, what were some of the things you kind of realized you were going through and you had as childhood trauma and how did you kind of deal with them? Everyone has trauma. Everyone experiences trauma in a different way. That being said, we all feel the same thing. We all feel pain. We all feel fear. We all fear, feel anger, whatever it might be, anxiety, depression. So what I learned is there's two core wounds for 
every human. And we either have one of them or we have both. And the core wounds are fear that I'm not enough. It's a fear of inadequacy. And then there's a fear of abandonment. And so traumas manifest from those beliefs. We all need to realize that we're enough. Like we all have to come to that conclusion at some point. And we all have to realize that we're not going to be abandoned. And these things happen very early in childhood, really even ages zero to three are, are huge markers. And we're not even really can't even remember those years, but little things can create beliefs in us at a young age and even going up older and older. And so my core wound was that I wasn't enough. And that was reinforced in my life with my dad. He was my coach and it was very performance. You need to make good grades. You need to earn a scholarship. If you don't do this and this, you're not going to live up to the family name, blah, blah, blah. So a lot of it was a lack of affirmation from the men in my life that I looked up to. And so the trauma that I was walking through, although many different things that happened, it all led back to, I'm not enough. And I could tell myself that I was enough, but deep down and subconsciously, I didn't believe that. And so all of us have those wounds, those core wounds. I didn't really deal with the fear of abandonment, but it was the fear of I'm not enough and that, that manifested throughout my life. That fear of I'm not enough, I feel like a lot of people feel that in their life and they feel like people don't accept them and they're not really a part of a community or not accepted fully. How did you deal with that and really get to a place where you felt like you were enough? Yeah, it's deep work. And I'm going to explain that, but there's a quote from Carl Jung and it says, and I might be butchering it, but it says, if we don't bring our subconscious to the conscious, those traumas and those things, the subconscious will direct us throughout our life and we will call it fate. And so what he's trying to say is that if we don't bring this stuff that's really deep in us that we have buried or that we've locked away to the forefront and to the surface, it's going to repeat and manifest in our life over and over and over again. And we're not going to know like what's going on. Why can I not stop taking drugs? Like that was my thing. Why do I keep on sabotaging myself? Why does this happen in every relationship? Why can't I find a woman or whatever it might be? And so for me, the first step was getting sober. And so as I, when I went to rehab, that sobriety, it's easier said than done getting sober. But the reason that it was so hard for me to get sober is because I didn't want to feel the feelings, the subconscious feelings that were coming to the surface. And so a part of the deep work is sitting in your pain and not sitting in it alone, but sitting in it within community, understand where you're at. And, and that's what rehab was for me, was being able to sit in my pain, but also process my pain. Because a lot of things, this anxiety that we feel, this depression that we feel, all that is your body telling you that I need to get something out of me. Like this isn't sitting well, this needs to come out. And so being able to process that in a healthy way and being validated, but not being a victim to it, being able to do process groups and do psychodrama and do inner child healing. I couldn't run from my pain anymore. I had to face it. Yeah, I think it's really aspirational what you went through and how you were able to get yourself even out of that position of being addicted to drugs and really making that change and now wanting to talk about it during that process when you were kind of trying to get off drugs and beat your addiction and put yourself into rehab and stuff what was the catalyst for that i would say for about a year before that the band-aid 
of drugs was not working anymore. And for a long time, we can have something that is a temporary fulfillment that works for a little bit, but we have to keep taking more and more. Well, it got to a place to where the more and more wasn't working. And so the pain that I was numbing was not completely going away. I was still very off internally. And before that, when I would take drugs, I would feel okay in the moment. And so the first part was that the Band-Aid. The second thing that started to happen was my internal turmoil became very external. So about two years ago, a little over two years ago, I had a panic attack. And that was a really scary moment. I, I'd never had a panic attack before. I'd, I'd dealt with anxiety, but to lose control of my body and not know what was going on, thinking I was dying from a heart attack and getting rushed to the ER. And so when I lost control of my body and my brain and my my body's thinking I'm dying and I'm, I'm going through this stuff, I had had enough. And so really it came to a place to where what addiction is and what numbing pain is having a sense of control. I can control what I'm taking into me to make me control how I feel. When I had those panic attacks and the band-aid started working, I lost all sense of control. And when you lose control, really something it's a bad thing, but really that was the biggest blessing that I could have ever had because it took me to a very hopeless moment. And so when those two things happened, I knew that I needed help. And for those that are kind of going through that period of time for their own personal self, say they have been dealing with drug addiction for a very long time, what advice would you give them? And what tools did you learn throughout this whole process of the last 10 to 12 years? The advice that I would give them, really, it'd be more of reassurance is what I'd give them. Everyone's different. Everyone is, has a different path to healing. But what I do know is that I believe in God. I believe in the universe. I believe that we're here for a reason. And I believe that the universe wants them to be their best self and wants them to be their truest self. And it's the universe is on your side. And I want you to know that being in these moments of hopelessness are actually the best moments you can be in. Even though they suck really bad in the moment, my hopeless moment is what brought me to the light. The moments of complete darkness, of utter pain, and not knowing what's next, and not knowing if you're gonna make it, are the moments that catapult you into purpose. And so I wanna just reassure them that, hey, it might suck right now, but believe the best and know that, hey, things are gonna work out. And this is what I learned is that if you will just ask for help, get honest, ask for, that's step one, ask for help and get honest. Like let people know what's going on and, and not anyone, people that you trust, people that, you know, and if you don't have those type of people in your life, if you know that people are gonna react in a terrible way, talk to a counselor, talk to a therapist, call a hotline, message these guys that, that are doing this podcast, like they will get you connected, ask for help. And, when you, and, and not only just ask a person for help, but ask God or the universe for help and say, listen, I'm done. Like, if you're real, like, this is me testing you. I need help. And what's going to happen from that moment is a door will open. And your only job is to be aware that the door is opening and to walk through it. You got to be honest with yourself. You got to do the work that they put in front of you. You got to try you can't earn it, but you can give effort 
and everything will come together. I think that's really good advice and really good reassurance for people that are going through that. I wanted to ask, when you're going through it, do you think you need to really drive that change? Yeah, and I think with rehab and addiction, there's a, it's a terrible number, but there's like a 20% like rate of people that stay sober. There's like an 80% rate of people that relapse. And the biggest driver for true change is, I believe, desperation and hopelessness. A lot of people, 80% of people are either forced into rehab or it's court ordered or whatever it might be. They're willing to show up and do what's in front of them, but they're not giving their full self to it. You have to have a true act of desperation to want to get well. You have to really want to get well. And at the end of the day, it's up to you to really want to heal. And the reason that people don't heal, I like to think of it like this. Think of it like a seed. When you go into these places of like rehab and darkness and you're trying to heal, the seed is planted and, and you're buried. And it's very uncomfortable and growth is uncomfortable. And you're getting like, people are pouring water on you. It's hot. It's you're in the dirt. It's you don't know what's going on and you don't see any light. And what a lot of people do is they'll get to a place to where maybe they're starting to grow and then they'll uproot themselves because it's too uncomfortable. And they uproot themselves before the roots have grown. And this is what a lot of people do because an extremely uncomfortable process of dealing with pain and dealing with a lack of no, you have no control. And so what I say is, Hey, if you're going to do this, like be bought in and know, like I'm at the end of my rope and I, I have no control and I, and I want to change for the better. And I want to be my best self. And I'm willing to sit through the process and humble myself and feel the pain and work through the pain. For those that are around those people that are really struggling with drug addiction, how can we support them? That's a hard question because here's the thing is sometimes supporting someone doesn't look like support. If this person is coming to you and they're saying they need help and they're listening to you and they're, they're wanting to help, that's one thing. But if there's a person that is in their addiction and they won't stop and they won't listen, the best way to love them is to put up boundaries and I'm not saying X them out of your lives, but what I am saying is put up a boundary that is really sturdy to say, hey, I love you and I don't support this. For example, one of the things that they tell the parents is, hey, you got to give them an ultimatum and say, either you go to rehab and I support you and we're going to be behind you or you keep going down the road that you're going and we'll always love you, but like, you're not going to get money from us. You can't stay here. I'm sorry. Like this thing is ruining your life and it's ruining our family's life. And so it's hard to put up boundaries like that with people that are in addiction. But if the ones that are wanting to get help, that's when you can really show them the love that you're talking about and get them the help that they need and reassure them and be behind them. But until those other people that don't want the help, you have to love them from a distance. Do you think that process of, I guess, especially with parents and children, like parents kicking their kids out of the home because it's not suitable, can build a lot of resentment for the kid who's going through a really hard time. How do they deal with kind of this sense of, not abandonment, because it's not abandonment, it's the sense of boundaries, but it feels like abandonment to the person who's going through it. 
So with that, resentments are a huge thing. Resentments are, I believe, the pathway to living a life that is not authentic and it's not you because you're harboring unforgiveness and resentment. When you go through rehab, one of the big things that they're going to point out to you is a sense of responsibility. And at the end of the day, when the, these parents are making this decision, it's a lot harder on them than it is on you. Their unconditional love in that moment is setting that boundary. Sometimes love, love doesn't mean we have to tolerate everything. Love means that we set boundaries and that's what that parent is doing. What the person that has to do, what the person has to do that walked through this and got kicked out and, and is trying to come to terms with this resentment inside of them is realize that they're not a victim. They might have resentments toward their parents, but where were they wrong? They had dragged their parents through this for years. They had stolen money. They had done this and this. And so there's the 12 step program. A lot of people have heard about the 12 step program. The fourth step in the 12 step program is called uh, a resentment list. And what you do is you write down all your resentments. And I had 84 of them. I had a ton of resentments. And you write the first resentment out and you do this for each one and you write, what happened? How did this make me feel? And what was the effect of this? On the back, you turn it over and you write the same resentment. And you write, where was I wrong? Where was I selfish? Where did I lie? And what this resentment list is trying to get you to understand is that, yeah, things might have been done to you, but I, like, I can point my finger at myself and realize that I don't have to be a victim anymore. Like, I can take responsibility for the things that I've done and realize that maybe some of the things that they did were a response to the things that I was doing. And you have to come to a place to where you can take responsibility and get out of that victim mindset because victim mindset is a, a huge part of resentments. We feel like people have done us wrong, but we forget maybe we were a part of it. And there's some things that happened to us that we had, there's no fault that we had and, and, and someone took advantage of us, but that's a different story. But when it comes to what you're talking about, getting rid of that victim mindset is a huge part of that and realizing that that you carry a part in this as well. How do you forgive those that have wronged you in that process? So it's pretty funny you ask that. So step four is the resentment list. And you have this victim mindset and you work through it and you realize that you're at fault too. Step, a, a couple steps later is called the amends list. You're making amends. You're asking for forgiveness for the people that you've done wrong. Those amends are actually your resentment list. And so the people that you resented are usually the people that you need to say sorry to. And what that, that's a very humbling thing because you've held these grudges, you've held this resentment in you for so long, you've, but you're coming to terms and you're humbling yourself and you're realizing you're a part of this issue. And so making these amends and, and these resentments that you had are now your amends. I resented my dad, I resented my mom, I resented this person. That, well, they were the people that deserved the biggest apology, but they were also my biggest resentments. And so a lot of that comes with the conversations that you're having with them and, and asking for forgiveness and making it right and realizing that they love you and that they want what's best for you. And, and usually they apologize too and realize I could have raised you better. Or I could have done this. And, and, and that, that victim mentality goes away as you gain that true connection with them and, and come to terms with Things were bad, but let's get through this. Let's move on. Let's love each other. Let's forgive. How did you go through that? Scared. Obviously, it's very uncomfortable. It's awkward. It's 
you got to get honest. You got to show who you truly are. My last week of rehab was a week we call family week. And within rehab, everyone's coming in at different times. Someone might've been there for 40 days and you got a guy that's in there for one day or two days. And so it's the full spectrum of people in their healing process. Well, and so my wife came, my mom and my dad came and my brothers came. And I was nervous because at the end of the day, like I said, my core trauma was that I'm not enough. And so I'm trying to work through the belief that my wife doesn't think I'm enough. My parents don't think I'm enough. Even though I've done all this work, they're not going to get it. And so I didn't scared. And I said, you know what? I'm going to be honest with them. I'm going to be humble. I'm going to apologize. I'm going to take the blame because I have put them through a lot. And yeah, they might have, they've also done things, but that's their job to, to make it right. If I clean my side of the street, God will take care of the other side. And so that's what I did is I did it awkward. I did it afraid. Some very awkward conversations with my dad and, and being honest with him about who I was and just things that have happened in my childhood and working through that and apologizing. But it takes courage to, to get honest. It takes courage to apologize. It takes courage to take responsibility. But that's a part of this healing process is... That's really beautiful that you're able to do that with the people that you were close with and was able to have that experience and open up with that process of not feeling like you were enough, how did that affect your relationships? For me, it, it played out with dishonesty. I was afraid to show them who I really was, because if I were to be honest about who I really was, then I would be reinforcing the fact and proving to myself that I wasn't enough. My relationships were affected by extreme secrets that I wouldn't share about myself and a, a huge lack of vulnerability on my side. There was a lack of connection because I had a wall up and that wall was protecting the belief that I wasn't enough. And usually that's how that, that happens with people that believe that is, is they can't be fully honest about who they really are and they, they can't be fully honest and have the courage or the ability to share their struggles because if they do, well, how is the person gonna react? My relationships looked was very shallow because there was a lack of connection because they couldn't know me because I didn't know me. And, and that's where it starts is once you know yourself, then others can know you. And so I had to first know me before they could know me. What was that process like of finding yourself, understanding you and becoming like that best version of yourself? In that process, it was definitely like I said, painful, because it's like you're pulling out the weeds and you're trying to find who you really are. You're trying to figure out what's true and what's not true, what's reality and what's not reality, and finding your identity and your purpose. I would say those 60 days were probably the hardest yet most rewarding days in my life because I was facing things that I didn't want to face. And if you want to find yourself what I say to people is you got to stop and turn around and you got to face the fire that you've been running from. Usually ourselves and, and the person that we're trying to find is buried deep down in us. For me, that process came, a big part of that process of me finding myself was inner child healing. And that was a process of me going back in, in therapy and having a conversation with little me and realizing that a long time ago, I had put little me, I, I had locked him away to keep him safe um, because his needs weren't being met. And he had a belief that he wasn't enough. So I had to put on this facade, this 
lifestyle of secrets, this wall to protect him. And through that inner child healing, I was able to give him permission to, to be in control and to come out and live his life and let him know he's safe and that I loved him and that's all that mattered. What does that process of inner child healing look like? There's definitely layers to it. All of us are born innocent and it's the innocence of a child. Looking back when I was little, I was very happy-go-lucky. I was funny. You're excited to wake up on Christmas morning or you're excited to go on vacation. Like every day is a holiday. It's like you're excited to ask the questions and be a kid and to explore and all these things. And all of us through life experience things that take away that innocence. And it's not like it's actually taken away. It's actually we bury that innocence to live up to the opinions of what others think of us, or maybe that child was wounded and we had to keep it safe. That's how our nervous system works. That's how our brain works is it's all about safety. We, we want safety, we want comfort. And so what happens as you, you lose that innocence through trauma and things that you go through and you're molded into this young adult or teen or adult that is not who he once was or not who she once was that that innocence is gone. So what the inner child healing is, it's a meditation that a psychotherapist or a therapist walks you through. And, and this is after a couple of weeks of therapy and getting honest. And what you do is you go and you close your eyes and you have a conversation with little you. That's really great. I think it's so important to look back on your childhood and your experiences, like you said, and they can really help you for the future as well. When it comes to hard times, what stops you from going to a place of relapsing or going to a place of darkness and not being able to deal with those hard times? Through the healing process of treatment and rehab and groups, what happened was I was able to regulate my nervous system, which is painful because you got to work through all this stuff and you get to a regulated point and and then my logic was able to turn on. I was able to, I was able to take feelings from my heart to my head. I was able to process things. I was able to think through. I was able to, why am I having this bad thought? Like, what's that coming from? And being able to pinpoint, oh, well, that's not true. And so, yeah, we all have hard times. We all have bad thoughts. We all have doubts. But due to a regulated nervous system and the tools that I've learned through therapy, and through rehab and those hard times and really feeling that pain, I'm able to know what's real and what's not real. And so, yeah, like sometimes I'll trip and I'll have a, a doubt and, or something bad will happen or something that I wasn't planning on will happen. Well, I can realize that, okay, I'm future tripping right now. Why I can be in the moment. I can be happy. Like it's all going to work out. Like my beliefs are, the things that are driving my reality. I, I need to stay positive. And I can talk myself off that cliff now. Before it was, I'm just gonna jump because I didn't have that logic because I was in fight or flight. What therapy is getting you out of that, that fight or flight mode to where you can actually have the ability to respond correctly. And so yeah, relapsing is not on my mind because I have new tools and, and I have a new comfort, which is God and logic and being able to work through things and know like, hey, that's not something that I'm going to believe. Yeah, 
I think, no, I think that's really great that you're able to make those decisions and not fall back into bad habits. With society now, drugs are really common and they're used recreationally, they're used for fun, they're used in all these different ways. What's the reality of what drugs are actually like? What would you say to those that are doing drugs very casually or have it in their life occasionally and that type of stuff? I think everyone has the ability to choose for themselves. My question would be, are you numbing something? And usually that's the thing that's happening is they're numbing something or trying to fit in whatever it might be. I've heard with psilocybin treatment and people that are doing mushrooms and all this stuff to like heal their brain. I don't know. Weed recreationally, uh, people swear by it. I just know it's not for me. And with weed on top of that, just some studies that have come out are weed induced psychosis, which is happening to a lot of young males between like the ages of 15 and early 20s, which is coming from smoking weed, which is because of a very, it's so high in THC because they've manufactured it to that level these days. Like weed has been, it's not like it was years back. And so a lot of people are using recreationally and then they're getting weed induced psychosis and their, their brains are turning off and they're hearing things and it's all this crazy stuff. And so my thing is just be careful. Like I'm not going to ever use again because I know that's just not me. And I like my life sober. I actually love my life sober. Maybe that's not a reality for some people, but I would ask them to ask the question of like, are you healed? Are you numbing? And the drug use and, and that's just the fruit of a root and and i'm more focused on the root of it of why are you using because that's where the healing comes is when you deal with the trauma and you deal with the wounds and you deal with the beliefs your actions will change and i guess for those that are listening that want to become the best version of themselves what advice would you give them the advice that i would give them is face the pain that you don't want to face and the fear of the pain is actually worse than the pain and so you're going to just keep on putting off purpose until you stop and you face that void in you and you face the things that you know something's off. You know that there's a hole in your heart that like and, and all of us know because all of us are born with that innate ability to know we we're all wise in that way. Something's missing. And what's missing is the fear that you're running from. And, and that pain that you're running from and that experience that you're trying to bury and forget about, get into therapy. Therapy in general is amazing. If you're dealing with drug use, like do the hard thing, do the thing that your nervous system and everything else is telling you not to do, because that is what you need. You need to take the jump. You need to jump and you need, and you need to face this thing head on because you will be so happy you did months later. I guess to wrap us up, I wanted to ask, those that are during, going through this process, they're trying to find themselves. What are three things they can take away from this conversation to really focus on and to take into their life and the future? Number one is I want to reassure you and you need to give yourself reassurance. Reassurance is the love language for those healing. Here's the reassurance is that this is temporary. You're going to get through this. Your better days are ahead. Like your li life is going to be good to you. I'm reassuring you that if you do the work, life is going to be good to you. Know that the relationships that you want, the, the things that you want in your life, you can have those desires have been put in you because that's the life that you want. And that's the life that you're going to be given. So just 
do the inner work and I reassure you that the things that you dream about will come to fruition. Number two is, like I said, ask for help. Like you gotta ask for help. Be honest, get vulnerable, share with people that understand, share with people that aren't gonna judge you and aren't gonna reassure you. And, and then the last thing is believe, just believe. And I know that you might be in a place to where there's a, a high lack of belief, but you have will, you have a will, and you have a bit of belief in you because you're a human. And cling on to that belief, it may be very small, that things are gonna get better. And listen to that belief and follow that belief. Don't listen to the doubt. And so be reassured, reassure yourself, be around people that will reassure you, ask for help and cling on to that belief. Yeah, amazing. Well, thank you so much for your time. It was really great to chat. Yes. And I think people are going to take a lot out of this conversation. Well, thank you for having me on. I'm so excited for you guys to release it. And um, I appreciate what you guys do. So I really loved this episode with JB today. I think it gave me a really good insight into what it's like to be addicted to drugs and the process of rehab as well. I think that for everyone listening, I hope you learned something today and I hope you got something out of it and how to support those around you that are maybe struggling with drug addiction and to let them know that they are supported and let them know that they have that reassurance that they aren't alone. Because at the end of the day, as we spoke today about with JB, there's two things that we all struggle with, which is the fear of abandonment and the fear of I'm not enough. And if you struggle with that, please be sure to go seek help and talk to someone that you really truly care about. So if you love this episode, be sure to follow us at Really Mental Media and share it to a friend who may be struggling. We'll see you next week for an amazing episode. We've got great episodes every week with amazing guests and we'll see you there.